Uh, praise the Lord, uh, brothers and sisters. I'm privileged to be sharing with you this evening. My name is Doreen Tohere Mukasa. Um, <clears throat> I am married to Alfred Mukasa. Uh, when Jonathan was testifying, I, I would I, I would also like to testify. Last week, I grew a year older, and also I waited on uh, on my birthday, so we we celebrated fifteen years um, of our marriage. And we have three children, three girls. Sima is thirteen, Chisa is nine, and Lisa is three years. I'm a parishioner at All Saints. Um, currently in the intercession ministry. I would also like to thank the cathedral administration for these opportunities to keep the fire at the altar burning and for these uh, uh, opportunities to share. So I'm really blessed that uh, I can share. Um, I, I, I've, um, I can be picked on to share at this devotion. So our topic for to this evening is Christ, the Lamb of God. And uh, if you've been following the devotions that we've been having, we've looked at different aspects of Christ. But today we're going to look at Christ, the Lamb of God. And our reading is from John chapter 1, reading from verse 29 to 34. <coughs> so I'll read it. I, I use the New King James Version. Uh, it says, the Lamb of God. <coughs> the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, <clears throat> I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So that's the portion of scripture that uh, we are taking our, our uh, topic from, the Lamb of God. Um, <clears throat> I was excited when I received this because I'm currently doing a study on the book of John. So this was quite uh, interesting to share the thoughts that I've been learning. Um, so I would like to explore two aspects of um of Jesus that, that John presents to us in, in this uh, portion of scripture. So uh, the first one is the purpose of Jesus, uh, when John calls him the Lamb of God, but also the authority of that Jesus wills as the Son of God. So to give some context to our passage, I like to read around, uh, I'm a student of the Bible, so I like to do a bit of uh, history around the things that uh, we find in the Bible. So I saw that uh, in the history of Israel, um, of course, when God created uh, his people, he wanted to live in fellowship with them. He wanted to, to be in fellowship with them. And uh, <clears throat> in the history of Israel, we see um, that the glory of God dwelt with the people in the tabernacle. If we look at Exodus 40, Exodus 40 describes how uh, the tabernacle was to be set up. <clears throat> 
uh, God had given instruction to Moses on how to set up the tab- uh, the tabernacle. So in uh, in verse forty, um, rather in chapter forty, it describes for us how the t- uh, how the tabernacle was organized. And specifically in verse 40, uh, 34, um, Exodus chapter 40, uh, verse 34, it says, Then the cloud, this was after uh, Moses had finished uh, setting up the tabernacle according to the instruction that God had given him. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So the glory of the Lord was evident. Um, His presence was evident in the cloud that settled over the tabernacle uh, by day and then uh, fire by night. Now, when the Israelites, uh, they moved, uh, when the the cloud moved, then they moved. So they kept moving through uh, the desert to the promised land. When they settled in the promised land, um, that is like fast forward, we get to the point where Solomon builds the temple and uh, dedicates this temple to God. Uh, this dedication was done in First Kings chapter 8. <clears throat> so in First Kings chapter 8, um, it describes um, what transpired when, uh, as they moved the ark, Remember, they had been like pilgrims, so they were living with moving around with the Ark of the Lord. And now when they settled and Solomon built the house of the Lord, they moved the Ark uh, into the temple. Now in First King, in First Kings 8, we get the details on what happened, uh, what transpired as this Ark was being moved into the temple. In verse 10, however, it tells us that, uh, <clears throat> and it came to pass, when the priest, when when the priest came out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So again, here we see that the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priests were not even able to continue doing their work. Now, if we fast forward, uh, Solomon later. Um, went into idolatry, and then uh, the kingdom divided into two. Israel disobeyed God, and then the glory of the Lord departed. So in Ezekiel chapters 19 and 11, it describes for us, or it tells us how the glory of the Lord uh, departed from the temple. However, it's not a story of doom. Because of God's amazing love for us, he he gave us his glory again through the person of Jesus Christ. So now we fast forward to the new, the Gospels. So these Gospels capture for us the different perspectives uh, of Jesus according to the interaction of the disciples with Jesus. Uh, John specifically uh, was writing for both the Jews and the Gentiles, but um, 
we see that his main aim in writing the Gospel of John was to present Jesus as the Son of God. So he recorded everything that Jesus said. Okay, not everything, but he recorded what Jesus said in the episodes that he presents. But he also added explanations to help us understand what Jesus meant. Um, in John 20, verse 30 to 31, I'll, I'll read there. <clears throat> he talks about everything that uh, Jesus did that it could not have been recorded. So John 20 from 30, it says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So his main aim as he uh, wrote the book of John was for us to know that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. So when we look at our text of today, we, we focus on Jesus being the Lamb of God. Uh, it begins, the, the, the verse says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now here we see the previous day, John had been interrogated. That's just earlier in that chapter of John chapter 1. Uh, from verse 19, uh, the Jewish leaders had come to him and they were interrogating him about who he was. Um, and uh, was he? they asked him if he was the Messiah, was he Elijah, uh, was he uh, the prophet? And uh, John um, kept pointing them towards Jesus, uh, saying that Jesus was greater than he was and um, that John was just a pointer to Jesus. He was just a messenger to proclaim Jesus. So he pointed them towards Jesus. On this day, however, he proclaimed Jesus as the Lamb of God. And he even repeated it the following day, if, if you just read a bit ahead in 35 to 36. Um, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. So he's, he says it twice in a space of two days. So what is the Lamb of God? What is this whole uh, Lamb uh, business about? Now I found that uh, the first mention of a Lamb in the Old Testament was in Genesis 22, verse 7, when God had, had instructed Abraham to sacrifice, uh, to go and sacrifice his son, Isaac. Now Abraham set out with the servants and Isaac uh, to the mountain to sacrifice Isaac. So in verse 7, Isaac asks, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, here I am, uh, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood. Look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamp for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamp for a burnt offering. So in the Old Testament, we see that uh, the people were familiar with um, using animals or lambs for sacrifice in their worship. Uh, if we look at Leviticus chapter 4 specifically, it talks about what the people were supposed to do when they sinned. So God had made a way for them, required them to give a sacrifice for their sin. 
So Leviticus chapter 4 goes into detail on the kind of offerings that uh, they were supposed to present for the sins that they, they committed. So for instance, um, I saw that in <clears throat> a bull was supposed, if a person sinned, they were supposed to offer a bull for unintentional sin. Now, characteristic of all these uh, sacrifices was that these animals were without blemish. So if a person sinned, they would lay their hand on the bull, then the bull would be killed, and then the priest would use this blood uh, from the bull, he would sprinkle it on the tabernacle, and then put some on the altar in order to bring cleansing for the sin that had been um, committed. And then they burned some fat on the altar, then the bull's hide, its flesh, its head, its legs, its offals were carried outside the camp um, and they were burnt on wood with fire. Uh, in verse 13, the same thing happened if a congregation sinned unintentionally. I kept wondering about this word of sinning unintentionally, but it says that if the congregation sinned unintentionally, then the elders would lay their hands on the head of a bull and then the process, you know, uh, sprinkle blood on the uh, tabernacle and then rub some blood on the horns of the altar for, for atonement to be made. In verse 22, it talks about if a ruler sinned unintentionally, uh, this time the ruler would uh, make an offer of a kid uh, or a, a young of a goat. Uh, this kid had to be a male, but it also had to be without blemish. Uh, in verse 27, it talks about if common if a common person sinned, then um, common people could offer goats, kid of goats, and this could be female, but without blemish. In verse 32, it tells us that if uh, a lamb was offered, it had to be female and it had to be without blemish. In Leviticus uh, chapter 5, from verse five to six, it kind of gives a summary of these offerings that they were making. Uh, in chapter five, it talks about the trespass offering. So in, in verse five, it says, and then it shall be when he's guilty in any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing, that's a person who has sinned, and he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin which he has committed. A female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of God's as a sin offering. And so the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. So the people were quite familiar in their worship that they needed to uh, make sacrifices for their sin. Later we see also when, uh, or maybe this was earlier, um, at the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, uh, when the Israelites were being released from Egypt, uh, every family, there were instructions on how to celebrate the Passover. So each family had to have a lamb. So what I'm driving towards is is the requirements that there was there was so much sacrifice that had to be made during that time in their worship. So during a single year, uh, you a family had to offer two lambs a day to sacrifice for the atonement of their sin. That is in Exodus chapter 29. So they would offer one in the morning and then the other in the evening and this was to be done through all the generations so just imagine the amount of blood that was shed at that time imagine the, um, the number of animals you know that were kept for this you know for this for these uh, sacrifices to be made um 
in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it tells us that uh, everything under the law, everything had to be purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there, were, there would be no forgiveness of sins. Now, however, these animals that were being sacrificed and this blood that was being shed could only cover sin, but not take it away. So I, I would like us to keep at the back of our minds the, the scripture that we are thinking about. Behold, um, Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So before Christ, all the blood shed, all the blood that was shed could only cover uh, for the sin of the people, but not take away um, take, take away the sin. So I would like to read from Hebrews chapter 9 <clears throat> about uh, what Christ did for us in sacrificing himself as um, as coming as the perfect sacrifice and overriding all the other sacrifices that were made in the past. So Hebrews chapter 9 talks about the earthly sanctuary, but also talks about the heavenly sanctuary. So reading from verse 11, it says that Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a haifa, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, without sport to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. So the animal sacrifices, the animal blood that was shed could not cover sin and not take it away however when we read about jesus and the heavenly sanctuary and the work that he accomplished he came as a high priest the high priest actually not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood and he entered the most holy place now that place in the past was entered once a year by the high priest and you know this was a human uh, priest however jesus entered there once for all and it was finished, like he said at the cross. So when John proclaims that, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, we see Jesus as the perfect sacrifice who represents those millions of lambs, you know, that we would have had to be offering if, uh, if, if we're still, if we're living at that time. Now, Jesus's blood takes away, not just covers the sin, but actually takes away the sin. So it cleanses and it addresses the root cause of our sin in colossians chapter 2 <clears throat> we're told about uh, the power of this blood of jesus in overwriting everything um, that has been written against us colossians chapter 2 uh, i'll read from verse 13 it says <clears throat> and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive together with him 
having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So we see that Jesus has done a much greater work for us than what these animals uh, could ever do. And personally, I'm eternally grateful that I live on this side of the cross, uh, on this side of resurrection. I don't know what I would, if we had to sacrifice <clears throat> an animal in the morning, in the evening, then you commit a sin, then you have to find another lamb, go to the priest. I, I don't know how ritualistic it would have been. The lambs that were being sacrificed were being brought by men to other men. So the priests at that time were just ordinary men. The uh, ordinary men. However, this lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus, that we see, was given to us. First of all, was given by God and given to us as the sacrifice. So God gave us Jesus as the perfect sacrifice, as the lamb uh, for our sins. So this makes me wonder, who are we that, you know, that Jesus is so mind, that God is so mindful of us, that we have such a privilege that Jesus can take away our sin. He shed his blood, not just for Israel alone, but for the whole world. The lambs then, or, or the law then, applied to the Israelites. But now, because of the sacrifice that Jesus has made, anyone can come to Jesus. So I'd like to pause and ask you, friends. What sin are you struggling with? Is there that thing that constantly berates you when you come to God in prayer, you know? Um, it might be a thing that perhaps you keep doing over and over. You've confessed your sin about it. You've tried to repent. Or maybe it's the guilt that keeps plaguing you. In First John 1, 9, we're told that when we confess our sin, God is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And uh, guilt is not of God, really. I, I believe that guilt is not of God. Guilt is of the devil. That, that thing to keep reminding you and asking you, but, but do you think that really God has forgiven? How could you do such a thing, you know? That, that, that is accusation of the devil. So I'd like to encourage us. Let's shake those thoughts off. Let's arise even like the prodigal son did, you know? He had squandered all his wealth that the father had given him. And he was living out there like a pauper, suffering, wanting to eat the food of the pigs. And then he remembered that, you know, these servants at my father's home, they, they have food to eat, you know. Why don't I go back? So let's arise as well. Let's confess whatever sin it is that we are struggling with. Bring it to Jesus. His, his, his arms are open wide to us. Let's return to him. Uh, the Bible tells us that his mercies are new every morning. And his compassions never end. <clears throat> they never fail. So he's waiting to receive you. Or maybe it's not you yourself. Perhaps you 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 know someone that is struggling with sin. Uh, they have tried to overcome this sin, but they keep returning to it over and over. Will you encourage the person to turn to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world? And uh, this encouragement can also be in form of prayer. I'd like to share a testimony at this point. Um, I had I have a relative who got into an alcohol and uh, substance abuse addiction at, at a young age uh, while he was still in secondary school. 
um, he um, he had grown up in a Christian home, but uh, along the way, I think he felt like, um, according to what he told me, is that he felt like he wanted to experiment with what is on the other side, you know? We are so saved at home, you know, where everything is, you know, you, he wanted to test the other side of the world. And uh, he started by taking a little alcohol. Eventually, it became an addiction. And he also got pulled into drugs, uh, you know, right from secondary school <clears throat> through the university. You know, uh, university was a struggle for him. Uh, he got retakes, you know, and now he, he feared uh, to to report to say that he had gotten retakes and people at home were wondering, but so-and-so is studying, but they're not finishing, they're not graduating. He almost failed to finish school. <clears throat> the addiction became very bad that, you know, uh, the, the person started selling like property in the house, you know, just to fuel the addiction. They couldn't be trusted with money. And, you know, they were doing playing this game of, you, you call so-and-so, you ask for money. Then you call so-and-so, you give the same reason, you ask for money. Then you call so-and-so. It became so bad that we had to form a group to say that, okay, uh, so-and-so is asking for money. Who has he asked so that we can know, uh, kind of streamline uh, the money giving? But, you know, and, and I think also this is a note to those of us that may be parents on the call, but also those that will be parents later, to train uh, our children in the way of the Lord, because as Proverbs said, when they are older, they will not depart from it. Now, um, I would like to believe that also because of that, the foundation that he had received, of course, we prayed for years, you know, we prayed and prayed and talked and talked. Uh, he had uh, gone to rehab, but uh, sometimes did not finish uh, the rehab sessions or he would come out and relapse, you know. But then early last year, God is amazing. Uh, this young man had an encounter with Jesus, and I would like to say the rest is history. Um, he met the, the Lamb of God, and uh, it's been almost a year and a half now. We can see transformation. We can see, you know, restoration. But that's all because he came back to, to Jesus. He came back to the cross. So in Isaiah 53, verse 7, Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering uh, lamb and everything that Jesus did for us as the lamb of God. I would specifically like to read uh, verse uh, 7. It says that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. That was Jesus, uh, this Lamb of God that we are talking about. He was humble, imagine, and he was without defect. Remember, we've seen that all the sacrifices that were being made had to be, uh, the animals that were being used for sacrifice had to be without blemish. And Jesus was without defect. He had no sin uh, in him. Uh, he is the only Lamb of God, and there are no other alternative ways uh, through which we can come to, to God. In 1 Peter 1.18, it tells us about this precious blood with, with which we have been uh, redeemed if, if we have chosen to believe uh, in Jesus. Uh, that is 1 Peter chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 18. I'm sorry, there's a bit of noise in my background. 
um, I hope it's not affecting. But First Peter 1 18 says that knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So Jesus was a lamb without blemish and without spot or wrinkle. And of course, his pre- he, was go- he was the son of God, and therefore his blood was precious. <clears throat> so he has the authority. Jesus has the authority to take away our sins and not just take them away, to wash them. He wipes our slates clean. If we think about it in our dot-com world, if you think about your phone, you know, if your phone hangs, you can cold boot it. You know, you risk you cold booting is just pressing it until it's off and then you switch it on again. You know, also with our computers, sometimes they do these hanging things or we can reset our, our, our uh, settings back to factory settings, back to the original, uh, what the manufacturer had brought um, the equipment out to do. So Jesus wipes us, our, our, our slates clean. If we confess our sins, if we turn to him in repentance, he will cleanse us. We can be made whole uh, both physically but also spiritually uh, if we trust in Jesus. However, it's a work of faith. It's not uh, you must have faith to believe that Jesus cleanses you and takes away your sin. The alternative, I don't know what the alternative would be. I wouldn't like to think about it. If you and I don't choose Jesus, then we bear the full responsibility of our sin. However, if we turn to him, then he makes us whole in our bodies, in our spirits, and in our souls. On our own, there's nothing that we can do to gain the righteousness that humanity lost in the Garden of Eden. Surely there's nothing we can do. We saw how those people toiled, eh, making all these sacrifices, and there, there was a progression, you know, uh, of the sacrifices that were being made until Jesus came, the one man, the perfect sacrifice, who died once for all. So he took our place. We deserve to die, but he took our place and he suffered for our sin. In Romans one, uh, Romans 8, 1, it's a common one that uh, we like to quote. <clears throat> It says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And personally, I'm thankful for this uh, gift of salvation. Romans 8.1 says, Verbatim, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So brothers and sisters, I hope that you have the same uh, joy or you have received the salvation that Jesus extends to us as the Lamb of God. So I'd like to pause again and ask, who needs to meet Jesus, the Lamb of God? Who do you know that needs to meet Jesus? Even as we go into this festive season, um, they, they, I remember growing up as a child, uh, it was a lot of excitement, new dresses, new, you're going to you know, travel maybe somewhere, you know, the, the season would be more about the activities, the, the things that we're going to do than actually commemorating the birth of Jesus and thinking about really what Jesus has offered us and what he has done for us. So even as we go into the festive season, as you celebrate, as you travel, 
Have you interact with family? How will you keep Jesus as the reason for the season? Sounds like a cliche, but I sat back and I thought about it. You know, even growing up, I see that Christmas has started to be different because I think I we decided to be more intentional about what is Christmas, you know? Uh, what does it mean? And uh, if we are celebrating Jesus, how are we celebrating Jesus? What 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 are we going to do? How what difference? Um, how is it going to be different from all the other times that uh, we have had Christmas? And so I point, I, I I challenge you as well. Think about the people where you're placed. It may not be yourself. Um, I don't know if there's any of us on the call that doesn't believe. We'd like to invite you to this salvation that Jesus offers us. But for those of us that believe and uh, you've been placed in a family, in a workplace, uh, you, you, have, you, you have a sphere of influence. So who in your sphere of influence needs to meet uh, Jesus, the Lamb of God? Um, <clears throat> how will you encourage them uh, to, to reach out and meet this Lamb of God? So we see that Jesus's purpose on earth was to be the Lamb of God and to offer himself as the sacrifice for our sin. But also in the other part of the scripture, as we as we conclude, John says, John calls Jesus the Son of God. He testifies that this is the Son of God. When John baptized Jesus, the Holy Spirit had come down as in the form of a dove and settled, it, it remained upon Jesus. And then John knew for sure that uh, this was Jesus, the Son of God. I was, I was, uh, I just kept thinking about, um, you know, John was Jesus's cousin. And John was maybe six months older than, according to the records, six months older than Jesus. But he recognized his cousin as the son of God. I wondered if I lived in that time. Okay, maybe it, it, there it was a bit obvious. But if I lived at Jesus' time, um, would I have been quick to accept Jesus, to acknowledge that Jesus uh, was the Messiah, was the son of God? Um Despite all the teachings that the Jews had, we see that there was a, a lot of rejection, a lot of objection to Jesus because they saw where he came from. They knew he was the son of Joseph and Mary. You know, they had seen him grow up. So there was this familiarity. Would I have accepted Jesus um, at that time if, if uh, presented, if I lived at that time? And I was challenged that, uh, and I'm grateful that I live on this side of the Bible. You know, I have these things that, can tell me about Jesus, and then I can believe. But John identifies Jesus as the Son of God. Who do you identify Jesus as? Who is Jesus to you? If you were to just sit in the stillness and just think, how would you describe Jesus? But then also we're told that um, John says that uh, when he baptized Jesus, he saw the Spirit descending and remaining on him, and then he proclaimed that it is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So I'd like to ask you as well, are you baptized with the Holy Spirit? What evidence is there in your life that you have received baptism of the Holy Spirit? Has there been transformation in your life that you can attribute uh, to having the Holy Spirit as a part of uh, your life? Do the people that you live with, the people that you work with, can they testify and say that you are a Christian or that what would your behavior say? 
uh, one or some of the people like to point out that uh, if you want to know whether you're a Christian or not, ask the maid in your home because they see us very often. They interact with us and the way we interact with them really can tell whether the, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit is at work in us or not. But I would like to ask uh, my dear friends, have you received Jesus as the Son of God? Who do you see Jesus as? And uh, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? So thank you for listening to me. Uh, let us pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. You have exalted it above your name and it is settled in the heavens. Thank you for the authority that you have given it. It goes out from you and it does not return to you void. Thank you for an opportunity to study from your word. And Lord, I pray that even as your word goes out, that it will be meaningful to each of us uh, that is on the call this evening, that you'll give us opportunity to be able to apply it in our lives for the glory of your name. We thank you, Jesus, that you came as the Lamb of God and as the Son of God. Who are we, Lord, that you are mindful of us? We thank you. We thank you for being mindful of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Over to you, Jonathan. <laughs> amen. 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 Thank you very much, uh, our sister, uh, for sharing with us. We want to bless the name of the Lord that he has given you the strength to share with us. Uh, one of the questions that you posed that has touched my heart uh, is about Christmas. How are you going to celebrate Christmas? Is it more intentional to celebrate Christmas? As you know, it's meaning, or oh, it's all about events that I'll go have fun with family in the village, but even without getting the deep meaning of this of this Christmas. So that's a, that has got my mind, and I feel like asking it to everyone: How are you going to celebrate to celebrate Christmas? Is it more intentional? And I want us to pray in line with that. I believe most of us have had our, our take homes, but this has stood out for me specifically and mostly uh, because we find ourselves just celebrating, just doing anything, but we are not getting the deep meaning of what it takes. Shall we pray that Jesus may help us to, even as we celebrate Christmas, that you will not only be about buying fancy things at home, buying cool food, you know, doing things that are extraordinarily making uh, our, our sitting rooms filled with, with lights, but when we don't, when we are not understanding what it really means, shall we pray just in this one prayer and then we will leave. Father, we thank you for your word and we trust that your word has fallen on a soft ground, oh God. It's our prayer that, Lord, we may put this word into practice. Lord, this morning as we challenge ourselves the way we are going to celebrate Christmas this year, is it intentional or just? But Lord, our prayer tonight is that you may help us understand deeply the meaning of Christmas. That even as we celebrate it as families, as we celebrate it as a church, that we may celebrate it from the genesis, from, from, from the good meaning of it, of Christmas. 
And Father, we come before you. You are the one, only one who can help us celebrate Christmas in its true meaning, oh God. Lord, that it should not only about events, it should not only about buying more sodas at home, that it should not about visiting people, like going to the village, like, but it may be intentional, God. And Father, we pray for transformation. We pray that you may transform us, oh God, that in everything that we do, you may transform us, that we may know that you are the Lamb of God, that you are the only one and only one and only one and only one. And if anyone needs anything, you are the Lamb, you are the Lamb, you are the Lamb, oh Lord. Father, we bless you for this evening. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your servant that you have called forth this evening to share with us, O oh Lord. Father, it's her prayer that you bless her, O oh God, that you reach out to her in every kind of need, but Lord, in your right timing. Father, we pray that you may cause us to know the meaning of Christmas, cause us to know in every corner, Lord, cause us to know that we in all corners that we will point back to you. We bless your name and we glorify your name. In Jesus' name, we pray and believe. Amen. And Lord, we thank you for the good network that you have provided to us in this fellowship. It's our prayer that even as we continue to fellowship tomorrow morning and evening, O oh Lord, that your will may be done, O oh Lord, that all people will speak out what you want them to speak out. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen and amen.